Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, JJ Peterson. JJ, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. JJ, tell me this. Yeah. Do you recognize this song? I'm going to do something very vulnerable. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think I'm on a roll here in a little rock. No, <laughs> and it's probably not because of I don't recognize the words. the The melody Steady sounds as dead a stone. on. Yeah, melody wait and see. <laughs> melody dead on. The melody might be familiar. It's the words I don't recognize. The only way no. I can sing is if I put a little R in my voice. Uh-huh. That's a song by Colin Ray. Okay. And he was a big country singer back in the day. Oh, of course. Now I recognize it. Yeah. I don't change the channel when that song comes on. Yeah. You'll hear in a minute my conversation with Tom Douglas, who wrote that song. Oh, wow. But it's not just another interview with the songwriter. It's actually Tom Douglas plus Troy Tomlinson, uh-huh. who's president of Sony Music. Oh, my goodness. He is arguably the most powerful man in country music. Yeah. And I think most people would say, yeah, it's not even an argument. Like, yeah, he yeah. is the most powerful guy in country music. And I was just curious about their relationship. They've been friends for years. Nominated for Grammys, Tony's, oh, sure. yeah. uh, Academy Awards, whatever else there yeah. is. EGOTs. He's going for the EGOT. He's going for yeah. the EGOT. <laughs> Full EGOT. And I was just curious about their like business relationship. Yeah. How does this work? This is part one of a two-part series called The Business of Music. Yeah. We've got Tom and Troy on this mm-hmm. episode. And Tom's going to do, He actually, we actually recorded him and his piano that he's had since he was a child. It's a childhood piano in their home. Wow. And he does a little bit of uh, Little Rock for us at the <gasps> end of this. Yep. Oh, that's amazing. And then next week's episode, Allie interviews Snoop Dogg's manager. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and we also have Ben Rector on the show who does comes into our studio. I like that we giggle every time we say we interviewed Snoop Dogg's manager because it's, it's just every time we're like, it's like we got Snoop Dogg manager. We kind of giggle about it because it's just kind of fun. Yeah, he is fun. I don't know what would be more interesting, Snoop Dogg's manager or Snoop Dogg. Yeah. I mean, I would toss a coin. Yep, yep. Because you kind of want to know, how did all this business stuff work? It's the Business of Music episode of the Story Brand Podcast. And Tom Douglas and Troy Tomlinson, as I mentioned, are our guests. It's an interview about business meets creativity. Yeah. I'm really excited about it. Yeah. I'm especially excited about the the creative process and how Tom deals with that. I don't want to give away too much. Yeah, yeah. I'm just excited. These are the conversations I geek out on. Yeah. (laughs) Like, how are you creative? Because it's like managing the weather. And then how do you sell it? Yeah. (laughs) If you're able to manage the weather and create something, how do you sell it? Yeah. And so we have both sides of that conversation. Here is my interview with Tom Douglas and Troy Tomlinson. Troy and Tom, thanks. Howdy. We have been talking for 15 minutes, and we went so deep so quick, we had to rush over here and turn the recording equipment on. But I'm curious about you guys' relationship. You have an artist and then a businessman who gets art, who understands it, and I want to know how that relationship works. So let me make it more specific. When Tom calls you and says, I got a song, what do you do, Troy? I say, fantastic. You already <laughs> sent it to me. Tom's pretty particular about raising his hand for something and saying, you got to listen to this right now. Of course, so you take the call, mm-hmm. but you trust if he raises his hand, he knows when to raise his hand? Yeah, yeah. Like he'll, it's, He's not looking for affirmation. No, I mean, he, he oh, likes yes, it. I am. Yeah. <laughs> desperately looking <laughs> for <laughs> affirmation. He'll, he won't be breathing when he stops seeking affirmation, but, <laughs> but he's realistic about it, too. So Tom writes a lot of songs, pro, over 100 a year, is that fair to say? Right. Uh, wow. but there'll every be every three days. Every basically. three days, a little song is completed into the world. I'm going to come back to your work ethic and habits. Mm. But he raised his hand, he's got a song. Yeah. He's written 100. How many times is he calling you a year? Honestly, not that many. I mean, if he were to call and specifically tweak us about 20 songs out of that group, that'd be a lot in a year. Now, that doesn't mean that he doesn't. Does that mean he's, you're throwing out 80? No, no. I, I turn them all in. Mm-hmm. I just, songs have to find their own way. So if I feel particularly desperate about a song, then I will say, I'll try to, you know, earmark it. You know, it's a little bit like the boy that cried wolf. With songwriters, there's this tension between 
everything I do is the greatest thing I've ever done. Yeah. To yeah. everything I've it's done horrible. is the worst I've ever done. I don't even know why. And you've lost it completely. And it'll oh, never yeah. Come Thank you. Thank you, Don. <laughs> well, no, I'm just talking, no, as a uh, book writer. I'm no, yeah, that's, that's exactly Similar. the way it is. Yeah. You know, he'll call and say, I got this one. I really think you ought to hear it. I think it works for so-and-so. And so, of course, we're going to listen quickly at that point and be honest with him. Usually, we're going to make that initial pitch that he wants to make, whether we think it's the perfect pitch for it or not. Um, but if he feels that strongly about it, we're going to do it. And if they love it, it's a win. you know. And if that first pitch artist that we pitch it to doesn't love it, then we begin to talk as a team about where to go with it next. Talk me through, you call whoever, Kenny mm-hmm. Chesney, whoever, you call them mm-hmm. and say, Tom's got a song I want you to hear. Now, they know that they're excited. Absolutely. Right? Are you lighting a candle in the room? Are you? I mean, tell me how you're pitching this song. Walk us, give us on the yeah, inside track. That's um, every way you can imagine. You know, it's... Um, you email it to them? You don't even Sometimes you do. Let's just use Kenny. You call Kenny and you say, hey man, Tom just played me a song and you're going to flip out. And he'll go, uh, you know what? I'm 10 minutes from your office. Uh, come out and meet me and let's listen to it in the car. Yeah. Or he'll say, can you be here at lunch? And I'll drive out to Franklin. Or he'll say... I'm at Blackbird Studio recording. Bring it right now, but it better be a hit. Give me, uh, give me a song where that happened, and he recorded it later, and it was a hit. I guess actually, it's a longer story than that. But I'm trying to think of the sing title. Sing good, my friend. Yeah, sing I'm good, my friend was a pretty quick pitch. I don't remember where we played it for him. Do you? They all kind I of run think, together. No, I don't know. In the world of technology, sometimes the quickest way to get it to him is just to. Like MP3, it you know, yeah, and email. I mean, literally, when I say you know, you would think we'd remember the setting in which everything we ever pitched got recorded because <laughs> getting a song recorded is hard. But we're pitching so many songs; you're really making sales calls, if you will, that, yeah. we, that we don't like to think of them like that. But they've happened in each of those scenarios. Yeah, there's been a, a case where I'm just sending, emailing a song to Eric Church, and all I write on the subject line is, "I never pitch you a song, but dot dot dot." You got to listen to this. Right. 30 minutes later, I get a call saying, I'm cutting it. Don't let anybody have else wow. have it. That happened a week ago with one of Tom's songs with a band in town that now has a hold on a song. I just said, you know, I never send you a song, but you yeah. got to hear this. And they immediately hit back and said, this is fabulous, outstanding, compelling. I got to have this song. So that's the most expedient way to do it, waiting to play it for someone live. I'd, I'd rather light a candle and have a drink and talk for a few minutes and play them the song. But the truth is, at the end of the day, the song is going to either speak for itself or it's not. So the whole It's got to stop you in your tracks anyway. It's got to, man. And the ambiance, there was a time where I could trick people a little bit 30 years ago. I think the ambiance could really contribute to whether they like the song or not. Today... There's not a whole lot of that. The key is with a writer like Tom, if they're sitting with me, the difference occurs between the time I say, okay, I'm going to play you the song, and I turn around and hit play. If it's a Tom Douglas song, there is an anticipation by the artist that it's going to be great. Whether it's going to be for them or not, they don't know yet. But when I'm turning around in that chair to hit play, they absolutely anticipate it's going to be a great song. Yeah. That's a bit of a win. You're already starting off on the 40-yard line when they're anticipating Just because they're sitting because these guys get handed songs all the time. They do. And so writers have certain reputations. And again, with Tom, it's, it may not be what works for them, and that's often the case, but they're going to know they heard a great song. Tom, when you sit down to write a song, we were talking earlier, your first hit was on the first three tracks you recorded on a cassette tape. Right. When you had no contract, you had no name recognition, but you wrote Little Rock. Right. Which I just found out 20 minutes ago you wrote, and it, it stopped me in my tracks because that <laughs> song, that's a pullover on the side of the road song. And we were actually talking about why, deconstructing it. Why does that work? Yeah. And there are a few little lines in there. You know, I've been selling VCRs at Walmart and Little Rock, and I've been sober for 19 days. And. What the dad? What does the dad say to him? Jesus will forgive, but a daddy don't forget. <laughs> We've all experienced something like that. And I said, well, I've never sold VCRs at Walmart, but I delivered Chinese food in Pearland, <laughs> Texas, and that's the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> and we've all had that. Did anything change in you when you wrote Little Rock and nobody knew who you were, and then many songs later you're very famous and you kind of got an idea maybe for what would sell and what wouldn't sell, did the creative process become harder or were you always able to keep that voice at bay and say, I don't care what's popular, I'm gonna write 
from my heart. And do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. When, when I had a best selling book, I had a best selling book, and thankfully, I'd written another book before that book became a bestseller. But after that book became a bestseller, writing got hard for about 10 years. Yeah. Because I had all the critics and the praise in my head. Did that happen to you? Yes. It happens. It still happens. I think you have to have that initial breakthrough the first time. And then you're always really trying to go back to that point of innocence and... Of forgetting. Uh, of forgetting. And, and starting over. Yeah. And getting the critics, you know, and the cynicism out of your mind and what are they going to think. It's, I think the mental aspect of, you know, the creative process is really underserved. People don't talk about that enough, just the creative mindset. Yeah. There have been some books like Bird by Bird and Traveling Mercies by Anne Lamont. Both There's, of them are incredible. There are books like that. They validate, you know, the painful insecurity and the uncertainty that you really you got to deal with that at some point. And I think back in 1993, when I just finally sat down and I was relieved to just finally, you know, tell the truth and nothing but the truth. Walk me through that line that you said earlier. I've tried everything else. Might as well. Yeah. Tell the well, truth. I mean, uh, a lot of times in any creative endeavor, and maybe just life, you know, you're. There's something in us, the people pleaser part of us that wants to do things that are going to be uh, celebrated or you know well received and live up to the expectation. Yes, and live up to the expectation. I mean, like Troy said, a Tom Douglas song comes in. I mean, what do you feel when yeah. he says something like that? You've written a hundred of yeah. them, but it kind of makes me sick to my stomach in a way. <laughs> it, it, it. I don't. It should be a compliment. And I know in some way that it is, but. I can't even live up to that. You know, when people say the best song I've ever written was Little Rock, which was, you know, 25 years ago, that's really depressing. Because, I mean, <laughs> I've, I've You since, don't believe that's true, though. I don't believe that. I yeah. think, uh, you know, I've written 2,000 songs in 25 years. You know, as they say, as Jimmy Webb says, the songwriter, you have to suspend disbelief to start writing. You know, you start off disbelieving, and you have to somehow suspend... Disbelieving what? That you have the ability... Disbelieving that, that you can do it, that yeah. it's going to be any good, that anybody's going to care. The default mindset, I think, of the writer is disbelief. Like, this is not going to happen. I mm -hmm. don't believe it. Mm -hmm. But you have to suspend, stop the disbelief to enter into the How do you do process. that? Do you stop caring? No, I if think... I stop caring, I mean, you stop caring whether it works or not, I just want to have some fun? I mean, again... The process is holy, the creative process. The end result is poison. So I have to constantly stay in the process of writing and care not about the end result of the song. Once the song comes to fruition, it seeks to mock and taunt you and destroy you and stop you from writing. So I love the song, but once the song's done, I hate the song. Because what did it do to you? Well, it's only going to come back and talk to you about it could have been better. Why did you do this? Why didn't you do that? That's just the way it is. I orphan the song as soon as it's written. I don't even own the song. I don't even like the song anymore. Yeah. I don't have any of my own books in my house. Yeah. And I've never gone back and read them for a similar reason because I just want to edit them. Yes. They're honestly ridiculous. Yes, I agree. I heard an interview with you 2 recently. And Bono talked about, you know, Unforgettable Fire was just a bunch of unfinished sketches. I, yeah, right. And you can, you can actually hear that. When you listen to the album, you go, yeah. those are unfinished sketches. They're genius. And then he said, you know, the same with Joshua Tree. They're just songs that aren't finished. Mm -hmm. They're not very good. And the interviewer said, which ones? And he said, well, I'm not <laughs> going to say I'll make so many people mad. He said, no, you got to tell me. He said, well, where the streets have no names. Think about it. That's a ridiculous. This is insane. But then you actually kind of listen to it and you go, I can see how he would have edited that and finished it till it wasn't a hit. Right. Well, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, no. Totally. I mean, it's a, but the amazing thing about I mean, you take something very obtuse and obscure like a radio hit. I mean, it's like stream there's, of consciousness. But there's some, genius there's in there. Genius. There's something in there that's working. Somehow, what we're able to do is extrapolate just enough emotion even though it may not be linear or it may not be literal, but we can extrapolate enough of the emotion that it means something to us, and that's our takeaway. How do you know when to stop on a song? How do you know when to say, that I need to walk away from this? Well, I don't. They're in... <laughs> okay, well, here we go. Yeah. Troy, so... how do you know when to get them to walk away from the song? <laughs> Usually there's a seven-year mark. Or right. So where we do. I spent no. too much money on demos. <laughs> right. He, he likes to read demos. You'll never lot, get your but... money back if the exactly. events hit. <laughs> I think part of the genius of Tom, and we've just been talking a lot recently about preciousness. I think if, mm. if, if a writer like Tom 
cannot see the song as so precious himself, but be satisfied that a listener does find it precious. You know, you and I, Don, we think of Little Rock as precious to both of us. We've articulated that already. The fact that Tom can distance himself from it enough to not hold it in this precious light allows him to move forward with the next one. And this whole rumination sort of a thing that, that a writer of any type can get into where they're just, they're just caught up in ruminating over the song and what they could have done differently. And even if it's a hit and it stops at number seven, what could they have done to have made it be a number one record? That rumination sort of sounds like a Southern Baptist line I'm about to use, but the rumination can lead to ruination if you just ruminate continually over the work. Let it be what it is. Disassociate yourself from the end result as Tom does. Again, I think that's part of his magic. And move on to the next one. But don't discount the fact, this is hard for him, don't discount the fact that you and I can hold it precious as the Right, somebody else can hold it Absolutely. There does seem to be a consistent characteristic amongst long-term successful artists. I'm not talking about one-hit wonders. Long-term, producing it over and over again like Tom. They see their work, their songs, their books, almost like a bookshelf that they deliver to somebody else and put it in their home and walk away. So they're craftsmen. It's everybody in the home, think when it's delivered, they think it's beautiful. But they're not knocking on that guy's door a year later saying, hey, come in, can I just spend a little bit of time with that bookshelf? Just a little more time with it. I just want to feel right. the lines. <laughs> you right. you delivered it. Yeah. You did what it's supposed to do. And then people are a little upset when you don't think it's as precious as they think it's precious. You're like, well, no, nah, I delivered it to that family. I made a better one since, and I'm making one now. It's really awesome. You know? right. Do you have that kind of relationship with your music? You put music it out there, and it's a, somebody else. It's a gift. I am sharing my gift with anybody and everybody that will listen, and then I'm going back to make the next gift. This is what it is. I hope you love it. It's going to really kill me if you don't, but I'm giving it to you, and then I'm going on to make the next gift. I mean, okay. the writer is, there's an action. It's not written. It's a writer. So that's why I mean, process is everything. You have to stay in the process. All right. I got to go there too, but I have a couple more questions. First, when somebody comes up to you, they discovered you wrote, or they know that you wrote X song, it means the world to them. And I don't want to offend any listeners, but it doesn't mean that to you. You would be very rude and hurt their feelings if you didn't pretend it means something to you. Have you ever had this moment? That is an And how do you deal with it? Well, it's a great honor, but honestly, I, I know this may sound disingenuous. I don't even feel like I'm a part of the song anymore. So I'm like... It's almost like we can enjoy it together. It's like, wow, that is so cool. That's that a you, really cool way to view it, it, actually. Yeah, it's not even mine. And you sort of pretend. Now, Stephen Pressfield would say, if you read The War of Art? Yes. He would say that he believes, and it's a very easy thing to believe. It certainly feels true. Somebody else channels you and writes this thing through you, and you've got this thing that you're getting royalties for that you don't even feel like you made. Is there some truth yes. to that? Yes. I don't know that I would agree with the channeling aspect of it, but I... I did have somebody say to me once, uh, I didn't write this book, God wrote this book through me, and I asked him who got the royalties. <laughs> <laughs> he yeah. said he did, and I thought, well, that God didn't write that book. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, that, that's why I think that's a little sketchy to say that. But, but do you understand the feeling? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I, I think that's a much better way to... You know, The House That Built Me is a song I wrote with my friend Alan Shamblin. Honestly, Alan and I don't even... We're not even a part of that. That's Miranda Lambert's song that she has. You wrote that song for her, is that right? Well, no. I don't think I do well by sitting down and having the, you know, the objective in mind. Like I know so and so is coming up to record. I'm going to write a song for Tim McGraw. I don't. Sometimes you think for I, a moment yes. that you'd like to, but right. then it just it somehow it, it doesn't work. It out. doesn't work out. So all right. So you put Little Rock with two other songs on a cassette. You meet a guy at a party, and was he with Sony? He was with Sony. And so you gave him this, and he called you as soon as he heard it and said, we need to talk. And you realized then you've got some, maybe you realized then you got some ability, or did you um, wonder or suspect it was there all well, You're 30 what at this time? Uh, no, I'm 41. 41. Yeah, so I'm 41. So And that, just so that everybody knows, you were in real estate before then? Yeah, I was and, still in real estate. I was uh, selling real estate in Dallas, and... I joined songwriter associations everywhere I went, and I reconnected with my friend, this is Paul's, Paul Worley, who was Troy's predecessor at Sony Publishing, and I'd known him as a guitar player when I'd lived in Nashville in a former life. So I reconnected with him, 
you know, he called me. It wasn't the next day. It was like a week later. And he said, I've listened to a couple of these songs. I think you've turned a corner. Why don't you let me run with one of these songs and just see if I can, you know, kick up any action. And then, you know, two more agonizing weeks go by. You know, I have this, this tension. So you of, knew he was out trying to sell this song. Well, I, I suspected that he was. And then, you know, then I think it's like everything else. Like I gave him the song. He had a glimmer of enthusiasm. And then no, I was faded, like, yeah. This is great. I'm good with it. I did the art. I'm going to go on the next thing. And then I agonize over it, you know, over two weeks. I haven't heard from him. Like, I told you, I was telling myself, I told you this wasn't any good. Why did you set yourself up to only be disappointed again? <laughs> and then, you know, two weeks go by, he calls. He said, yeah, I've, I've got this kid. He kind of likes the song. I think we're going to try to record it. And the music business is all about disclaimers. You know, they're minimizing everything. Maybe this, maybe that. And sure enough, he did record it. And then, well, actually, I got signed to Sony Publishing based on the cassette. Just I the gave cassette. Because this is the business of music, right? So, what does that mean? You got signed to Sony Publishing. They give you a thousand bucks a month to write everything you can or something like that What'd to get you started. Get? Do you remember what you got? I got um, $1,500 a month. As an advance. As an advance. A recoupable advance, and I got signed for... Were you going to have to repay that advance if you didn't write? How does that go? Well, if, if we didn't get some cuts, then he would not be responsible to repay it. If you got some cuts, he wouldn't have to repay it. No, if we got cuts, the royalties from the cuts would go toward the repayment. Gotcha. But if he never got a cut, if they just signed him and he had never got a cut... He's got to Sony sell some would, real estate. And no, Sony would have just been... They would have eaten the, the Okay, money. gotcha. Well, that's so you nice, don't have that's to, a nice contract Yeah, for you don't artist. have to come up with the money. Yeah, if I had to come up with the money with oh, the first no. book. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> that was a bad contract. That's a stinger. It was a stinger. And it didn't... My mom bought some coffees. That was about it. Yes. <laughs> anyway, so... Did she like it? She, she did. She, <laughs> she told She might have been the only one. <laughs> she liked it. Troy, it must be a delight for you when somebody like Tom starts making money. And by that, I mean they can produce more songs. They can give fully into their creativity and just be... You are a modern patron. If you look back on the great artists, Michelangelo... He's Medici. And, yeah, he's the Medici family. I yeah, can't spell I, it. I, actually, I, I think it. there's a parallel. I mean, yeah. it's more commercialized yeah. now, and I think it's much more democratic in some ways. He doesn't have to write songs for the Pope. He right. can write songs for right. rednecks. Right, and he does. <laughs> what is that like for you when you finally see that? Because I imagine you've got a bunch of songwriters that you wish this would happen to also. but yeah, Not totally. really, or yes? Okay, yeah. No, I do, yeah. Uh, luckily for me and Tom, he was making money before I started working with him at Sony. By the way, while he was crying with his family on an interstate in Texas, I was crying on Interstate I-65, driving into Nashville from when the you country. Heard it on the radio. When I heard it for the first time on wow. WSIX, and um, came to my office and said to the first person I saw in the creative department, "You're not going to believe what I just heard on the radio." And he said, "Was it called Little Rock?" Because he had just heard it too. And we took our first meeting with Tom, even though he was at Sony at that time and we didn't know it. So Tom was already making a good living by the time we started working together in '02, but. One of my heroes that I never met was a guy named Max Perkins who worked for Scrivener's. And I do see a lot of parallels to your point between an editor and publisher of a book and who worked with authors and a publisher who works with songwriters. And it is, a, to your point, it's a joy to get to be a part of that. When you do get to sign them, they've just moved to town and they just need 1500 a month to live on. And then you're able to watch them over a 20-year period, make a great living for their family, send their kids to the schools they want to, have a home that they've always wanted, take care of their elderly parents. There's great joy in watching them. And I think that's really the role of a publisher. We come alongside the writer and try to help whatever their dreams are come true. If they're a writer-artist, we try to help them become an artist and and get a record deal and sing to the public. If they're a songwriter like Tom who never chased that dream, who'd rather write songs for a living and, and sleep in his own bed every night instead of a bus, then we try to help them. We come alongside them. So it's a privilege and it's a, you know, a personal joy to get to do that. The remarkable thing about Troy, and the, of which there Among are many, there are many, right. there, there are, there are many Other remarkable good qualities. Looks, humility, charm, humility, humility. <laughs> he is, honest which you would think that would not be that about the songs he's yeah uh, about, about the songs about everything he'll just tell you what he thinks he's willing to be accountable for what he thinks and he's willing to put his opinion out there and be judged mm -hmm. for better for worse 
and there's so few people in life that are willing just to tell you what they think. Appreciate it, that. It really is. Uh, I mean, he is a rare combination of left brain, right brain. I mean, he's got the business thing down. Publishing is, you know, is a crazy, complicated world. You know, just the numbers part of it. But his creative ability, his objectivity, but his unswerving yeah. honesty is so refreshing. Because that's really all you want as a writer, as a creator. Is like, do you get it? Yeah. Do you like it? What do you think? I mean, yeah, if somebody cuts the song, that's obviously, that has to happen. But at the level of our interaction, I just want to find somebody that I trust that's willing to listen and tell me what they think. And often, you know, make suggestions. I think most creative people love constructive criticism. I'm making me From the right person. Man. From the right person. It is absolutely gold. gold from the right yes. person. And I don't... What is the right person? Tell me that, because I have that science figured out. Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, sometimes the right person is your wife. I mean, it doesn't have to be somebody that's a pro. It's just somebody that does possess empathy. Yeah. You know, that they can, like... It is that empathy and authority piece, that empathy, they empathize with you, but they also have the competency to know what they're talking about. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just worthless. Tell them the story of the first lunch we ever had. And the first song that you played me yeah. in my little car. Um, first, that's an example yeah, that's, of honesty. Yeah, um, I mean, it's happened many times, right. but we had lunch. On the way back from lunch, I said, hey, man, can I play you a song? And I had written a song called Walk Like a Man mm-hmm. and uh, played it for Troy. He listened to it. And there are certain people that you love playing songs for because they literally, they will close their eyes and you see them kind of rise and fall with the dramatic moments. Troy's, I look like I'm having like a you, sort you of a seizure. You kind of look like Joe Cocker, even <laughs> though nobody knows who Joe Cocker right. is anymore. But, you know, he's just, he's very expressive with his hands and he really clenches his fist. And he was feeling the, the song and he, at the end of it, he's, he opened his eyes and he said, I have one question. How did all this start? with this guy, with your protagonist in your song. I was like, I knew the answer. The answer was in my head. I just, it was so obvious to me, I had failed to actually put it down on paper. I knew the answer. I just, I didn't put the question down. Do you mean that element wasn't in the song? It wasn't in the song. And it was missing? It was like... And you knew enough to say that. Well, I just knew I didn't know what happened. (laughs) You know, and and so he immediately told me what happened, but it wasn't in the the song. So he went back that night, I guess, Yeah, and just simply wrote what he already knew. And then when we listened to it, the story made total sense. And one of our other guys got McGraw to cut it. Tim McGraw recorded the song. Wow. But that was an example of where it's not a good or bad or or, or anything. It's just that an objective ear listened to a song that had probably been heard by... Was it brand new at that point or did it been played around? Well, it probably been around. Okay. And so a lot of people hear it, and most people would rather say, I don't think that's for me than to say, hey, man, I'm not sure I understand what, what happened there. That's easy for me to do because I don't understand a lot of things. So I'll, <laughs> I'll ask questions. Now, you did get mad at me a few weeks ago on a Sunday when I called you, and I said, did y'all ever think oh, about, yes. oh, see how he knew he instantly. Did right. you hear the, oh, yes? That means that wasn't. That's wasn't. true. I, it, it, it is, but that's the beauty of our relationship. It, it is. is that like, you can ask the question, and then I can vent, and then I come back and be like, <laughs> You're still stupid. Charlie. Oh, no. I'm okay. Glad you, yeah, we could have done that, but... Questions are charming. That's my life rule. And so if you ask a question true. as opposed to saying, I can't believe that second verse, y'all went to this yeah. rather than going to this, that's a slam that's hard for anybody to take, and it right. doesn't get you anywhere. Right. But asking the question of, man, let me ask you, when you guys were writing that did you ever look at another opening line for that second verse? Was there ever something else? And then it's amazing how many times the writer will go, yes, we worked on that line for two and a half hours, and we originally had this. And then they tell you, and you go, that's that was the line. It. Yeah. You know, that now that's it. the way a relationship between a, a publisher yeah. and a writer should work. Yeah. A lot of people don't know this. Tom called me and said, hey, I got this song called I Think I'm Going to Roll Here in Colorado Springs. <laughs> and, and you said, said... I said, Little Rock. Yeah. <laughs> Colorado <laughs> Springs. True. No way. You yeah. can't rhyme with Colorado Springs? <laughs> with anything. <laughs> yeah. I'll be back with the rest of my interview with Troy Tomlinson and Tom Douglas in just a moment. Listen, we have something new at StoryBrand. It's actually kind of new. We rebuilt ClarifyYourMessage.com. 
we've created a directory of all the people that we have certified to take care of your marketing needs. People come to us all the time. They say, Don, I just need somebody to do my marketing. And we have a directory. Everybody in that directory has come to Nashville, spent four days with me, and I've taught them how to do marketing so that you, as the customer, don't waste your money with people who are literally, you can just pay people. And they make it even more confusing. You give somebody $10,000 to create a website and they put a message on that website that's so confusing you actually lose more money. It happens all the time. I got tired of it so I began to certify people and you can find them at clarifyyourmessage.com. Now listen, if you have a lot of marketing experience, if you consider yourself pretty good at that, and by a lot I mean at least two years, and you want to be certified yourself, we're doing a new cohort of certification in September. And you can find out about that at storybrand.com slash guide. So if you want to hire a guide, go to clarifyyourmessage.com. If you would like to apply to become a guide, go to storybrand.com slash guide. Clarifyyourmessage.com if you want to hire a guide, storybrand.com slash guide. If you would like to become a guide, I am so excited because people are going to stop wasting money creating marketing that doesn't work. Clarifyyourmessage.com. So you write Little Rock, that gets cut. Who cut that again? Colin Ray. Oh, man, yeah. Well, he did a good was job that the first that one. album? Was that his debut album? And that album, did that, did second, that song maybe. break him out? Was he had Love big? Me before that. Oddly enough, as a song plugger, I pitched him his first hit, which was Love Me, uh, from another company as a song plugger. I pitched him that song. Skip Ewing and Max Barnes wrote it. Love Me was a number one record, but Little Rock, from, I believe, that next record, it clearly took him to another, you know, different stratosphere. Where were you when you were driving down the road and you first heard Little Rock on the radio? Mm, I was driving down Lover's Lane. It was about 9.30 at night. I had a gray sable station wagon. I had... Uh, you married at the time? Married. I had three children. It was about 9.30, and we had the radio on, and it came on. Like, Were you uh, expecting it? No. And literally, I started... We all started weeping. I can almost weep now thinking about it. It was you just can't believe it. Yeah. You cannot believe it. It's like I'm sure the first time you see, you know, your book in print is like, wow, because all you think about is all the brain damage that it went through to yeah. get to that point. And in some weird way, it was like it was worth every second of it. What did the kids do? Well, they were well, like, they you were know, real four and young. two and what did your six, wife do? Yeah, we both were crying. She must have been I, was, so. I mean, she was just flipped out because she when we fell in love she fell in love with a songwriter and then i was like a songwriter who sold real estate and never had anything well on the radio well a songwriter in nashville i kind of met her at the end of my first tenure in nashville and you, and you gave up and then i raised my hand i said i hate to tell you this i'm not a songwriter anymore i'm getting in the real estate business she was like what <laughs> and she faithfully joyfully followed me to dallas and getting in the real estate business wow that's a beautiful story it is a beautiful story. Okay, but every blessing comes with a curse. Now you got to repeat it. <laughs> what did exactly. you, ne- you do next? Yeah, so then I finally learned how to write songs by myself. Um, Meaning what? You- which is like I just finally was able to sit down, you know, put words on paper, music on paper, and be like, I can write a song. Finally. I was 41. And then I started coming to Nashville one week a month. I still was in the real estate business in Dallas. I came one week a month for four years and kind of got into the Sony system. And what does the I, Sony system look this, like? What is that? You know, a team of creative people who are working with the writers every day to talk to them about their songs and, and to think of the best pitch for those songs right. and then to go make the pitch. That's sort of getting in the system. So, you, so you'll listen to the songs, and then you say, okay, who do we pitch this to? How yeah. do we pitch it? What album are they working on? Are they taking a break? Are mm-hmm. they having a baby? You All got that it. stuff. And then another big part of it that Tom got caught up in very quickly, and everybody does, it's just sort of the culture of Nashville. Our team immediately begins to think, well, Tom's a great songwriter. Who could we put him in the room with that would even make it even greater? Yeah. Who would a good co-writer be? And so then we begin to put him in little rooms and expect magic to happen. And that's sort of the Nashville yeah. the Nashville way. So and he it's came. worked. I mean, you can't argue it's, with that. It's worked. I think it's certainly the beautiful part of Tom's story is that Little Rock was not written in Nashville, was not written in a co-writing situation, was just really the, the truth, if you will. Yeah. And it made its way through. 
And so that's, that's a beautiful way to start your career. So that's interesting because you said you had to learn to write songs alone, but Little Rock was written alone. So did you go through a season where you felt like you were writing with other people and it wasn't very good? Or Well, I mean, I had collaborated when I lived in Nashville the first time. Oh, gotcha. Time, so you'd done that round. And yeah. then, then I had to like unlearn all that and just kind of get to the end of myself where I had nothing and then kind of build it back again, just kind of regain the love of, you know, I can play a G chord on the piano. I mean, you kind of have to, I had to go back that basic mm -hmm. of I can play G, C, and D on the piano, and wow, that sounds beautiful. And then I can put a couple of words to go with G, C, and D, and that sounds pretty good. So, I mean, it's, I had to come to the end of myself, kind of define myself to start all over again. What helps you come to the end of yourself after? Little Rock. I just know how hard it is to succeed and do it again. Yeah. It might even be harder. I think it is harder. I started coming to Nashville, and I think at that point I got so swept up just in the magic of Nashville and the allure of songwriters and you know all these amazing people and studios that I kind of got lost again quickly. I mean, it took me four or five, six years to kind of get back to who I was, you know, when I wrote Little Rock. Did you have a number one hit in those four or five years besides Little Rock? I had a couple other songs recorded, but nothing, nothing really like nothing that. Nothing that said no. you're the no. guy who produces number one hits. No, no, it was, it was. And you think that was a little mental stuff you had to work through? I think it was, yeah. And so I was in the real estate business, you know, would come up here one week a month from 93 and then I moved my family back to Nashville in 1997. Sony made it possible for me to come back and paid me you know, enough money that I could bring my family back. And at that point I was like, all right, I'm back in business. I'm writing songs every day. And I started to kind of regain my footing, slowly uh, get a little traction. And then I wrote Grown Men Don't Cry in 1999, which was another number one for Tim McGraw. I kind of started to regain my my equilibrium, but it was, I was dizzy for a while. I got, I got lost. Don't you think grown men, as opposed to Little Rock, grown men don't cry did begin more of an expectation of you as a writer? Yes. Like yeah. people began after you've had Little Rock by yourself, after you've written Grown Men Don't Cry with, who was that with? Steve Seskin. Steve Seskin. Now all of a sudden, okay, this wasn't an exception, the rule, him writing Little Rock. This is something real. That's when I began to think there's something really special. I still wasn't at Sony at that point, but that's when you began to go, my God, this same guy is on both of these, these mm -hmm. really great songs. All right, creative process. You had to become a pro. You know, Stephen Pressfield in his book, The War of Art, talks about going pro. Yeah. Even though you had success, I would imagine there's an amateur side to your career and a pro side to your career. What does the difference look like? Well, I might express it. I love the book by Pressfield. I think it's great. I might express it as... I had to give myself permission to say I am a songwriter, and that was. So you didn't believe that. For I a didn't long believe time. that for a long time. Even after you had hits. After I had Little Rock, I think I was like, okay, you know what? I'm not afraid to admit to anybody I am a songwriter. Right. I'm okay with that, but that was scary because I mean, a songwriter to me, when you say that, I know this is crazy, but all of a sudden you're equating that with Chris Christopherson and Jackson Brown and Leonard Cohen. And Elton John, and John Prine, and John and Prine, and you know Johnny Cash. Like, no, I'm pretty sure I'm not that, <laughs> but uh, I am. Uh, That's the equivalent of us saying, uh, you know, I'm not a writer because Steinbeck is a writer. Well, <laughs> That's a yeah, mean thing to do to yourself. That is. So I finally gave myself permission to do that. But oddly enough, I have refined my process over time. My songwriting process is. I get up at the same time every day. I read two newspapers. I always have a book of fiction, Hemingway, Faulkner. What time are you up? I'm, I'm curious. Um, between 6 and 6.30. What are the newspapers? Uh, the Wall Street Journal and the Tennessee, and I get the New York Times on the weekends. So I love newspapers. I love the, you know, the, uh, physical, feel the, of the physical feel of newspapers, and I like books. You know, I like old classic literature, like your high school English reading book. I'm so curious about your process. Um, do you have a conversation with your wife in the morning or does she sleep in? Do you, do we you... do, but my wife is wonderfully detached from anything I do. She's just like the 
glue that just holds my whole life together. So she just kind of creates a life for me to do what it is that I do. And I'm not even sure what that is. But Have you ever had to say, hey, you know, for the first five hours of the morning, we can't get into an argument? Or we, you know what I mean? Like we've got to, not, you know what I'm um, saying? Like I'm going to read yeah. the paper, I'm going to drink some coffee. He may say this, that, but it go. has nothing to do with this process. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, no, it's, but you know, I mean, I have three, I have three children. So, you know, it was... I think all the ordinary aspects of life, that's what you need to be doing. So I am very regimented, almost OC'd at my process, which is I want to live life to the fullest, the normal life. That's a really beautiful thing to say. Like a lot of people would say, I want to live life to the fullest, which means I got to go to Egypt and see the pyramids. But you just define fullest as normal. If I can just be present, that is a great Mm -hmm. accomplishment for me. And you know, I always have my composition book. I think the key to being a songwriter is it's not taking yourself out of life. I think it's just tweaking and perfecting your observation skills. I mean, I'm just an observer of the human experience. And then I try to create, you know, a literary framework that you can imprint your life on as the listener. So, Do you consciously think about the listener or do you just intuitively know... We talked earlier about like a good, you know, memorist kind of songwriter will is able to look in their own belly button, but only pull out the lint that we have in common. I don't and know. Do, That's do, a good do, question. Do you do I that intuitively, know. or do you think well, a lot of people are dealing with angst right now? I think I'll write about that. Or does that ever happen? What do you think, Troy? It does happen some. I'm, yeah. And I think you started to mention your notebook. I mean, clearly, you know, you've had a conversation earlier today, Don, with mm-hmm. with Tom. Parts of it will be memorialized in his notebook tonight. Just and taking so, notes on things yeah. that you've seen or heard. Right. Yes. Irving Stone one time said that artists are hypersensitive to life and their surroundings. That's why they can interpret for the rest of us. And I think that's what Tom does. He's hypersensitive to the things that are going on around him. Not frantic, but hypersensitive. Then he takes those, internalizes those, and we get to enjoy them back, if you will, yeah. you know, in a song. All right, so you're reading the newspaper. Yeah, we haven't got to your eggs yet you're, or whatever you did. Well, yeah. Well, I'm actually curious about that, too, because there's a lot of I oh, mean, this is good. A lot of artists who won't eat any sort of sugar in the morning, you know, the, the, yeah. all that kind of thing. Do you you're have anything like, like this, that? Don, what what do you do here? All right, so I get up. I Newspaper, it's a little bit of fiction. Newspaper, a little bit of fiction. I, ex- I have to exercise. What do you do? You ride a bike? I ride a bike. I walk. I swim. I play tennis. I work out at the wide. It, it you doesn't do that before matter. you write? Yes. How long? Um, an hour. Okay. I have to break a sweat every day. So I do that. Really? Seven days a week? Seven days a week. And then I come back and I read one newspaper. I literally have one newspaper, hot tea with brown sugar and a glass of Fruit Loops. After your workout? No, this is before. Before. Okay. I'm, uh, I'm actually really... No. Troy's okay. laughing, but he doesn't... I, t- I mean, the it's, brain runs on sugar or no sugar, and you're literally feeding your brain to do some creative work. It's more important than anybody can possibly yeah, imagine. <laughs> I mean, so literally, it's three tablespoons of flaxseed. Okay. Apple cider vinegar. Yeah. And water. Okay. Uh, you're big on water. I'm big on water. Yeah. I take a couple of vitamins... And then I have hot tea and brown sugar and Fruit Loops. Read the New Tennessean, which there's so much health and unhealth in that one. Fruit Loops, I forget with milk or dry. Literally a small glass. It's not a bowl. It's a glass, a cylindrical glass with Fruit Loops. Dry, dry. Okay. And then I read the Tennessean with all due respect. Takes about three and a half minutes. <laughs> well, anymore. <laughs> Surprise! It takes you that. So you're a slow reader, is what you're saying. Yeah, I guess so. And then I'm like, with okay. all two ads, with all two ads, right? <laughs> and then I have to go exercise. And then I exercise, and I come back, and I make one egg with cheese and olive oil and a piece of so you. I'm just, you're, you burned off the sugar, and then you come back and you eat some healthy fat. Yeah, I don't even think it is sugar. I just think it is like. I get to have Fruit Loops. Maybe just the inner child in me. It's yeah. like I love Frosted Flakes and Fruit Loops. I just okay. love it. Yeah, I get do it. Do you so measure? I'm a golden grams guy. Yeah, I, I love. Yeah, I, I love cereal. Do you measure the olive oil, or do you just do it? By I've done it so I much. Think he's, being, okay. he's making fun. All right, of us. I just wanted to make oh, sure. He's clearly, he's making fun, fun of us. <laughs> he's he, he, he's as eccentric as we are, just in, in a, a different, different way, way, in a redneck way. But keep going. I, and so then I have my egg, and um, then I read the Wall Street Journal. 
while I'm having my egg. And that then, very much fits. Tennessee and Fruit Loops. Yes. Egg and avocado and olive oil. Right. Wall Street Journal. Yeah. This is all making sense. Yes. And then about <laughs> ten o'clock, I'm like, I've literally, I've had so much going on in my mind. But that's four and a half hours. Yeah. But and you're thinking while you're exercising thinking, too, right? Things are coming. My problem to you. is I think too much. I yeah. can't turn it off. So I've got so much going on in my mind that I cannot wait to get to my black and white composition book and my specific Blackwing Palomino pencil, <laughs> specifically. Okay. That's the only pencil I can use. I'll give you one before you Please do. It. I mean, I will cherish that. And then I'm just, I'm writing furiously. Yeah. All kind of crazy things. And then either I'll have an idea and that i And you're I'm writing like, lyrics. Do you hear the music in your mind when you're writing I'm just writing... Ideas. Just thoughts. I'm writing thoughts. I'm journaling. I'm praying. I'm cursing. I'm just whatever insanity. I just, I'm sure, I just pray to God I'm dead before people read my journals. Yeah. And then by that time, I've got so much going on that I've got it spilled on the page. And then I can't wait for whoever's going to show up at 10 30 or 11. Do you, you only know. do co writes now? Not only, but mainly. Mostly. Yeah. I would think it makes you show up. It does. But if it's, I co-write, it's co-write books, I get yeah. a lot more books written. It's accountability. Written. It's just the Nashville way. I think it's a double-edged sword. Some of it's good. Some of it's really bad. You know, there's a part of me thinks, why did I not just stick with the guy that went to SMU early one Saturday morning with a cup of coffee and a black and white composition book and just write Little Rock? Why haven't I written 100 songs instead of 2,000? I really mourn the loss of that life, what that might have been like. There's a big part of me that thinks that was a mistake. Man, I, that just doesn't sound true to me. Okay. It I, does, I, mean, that, I agree. Just, I, he sounds, didn't believe that either. It sounds like... Troy didn't believe it. He likes, you like people too much to do that. Well, not only that, but that's just like saying, you know, why didn't I only write the hits and not the other yeah, stuff? That's it's, like, it's all true. so necessary, yeah. you know? Walk me through, uh, La Love It says... And I believe him because I think he tells the truth. He wrote half of If I Had a Boat while he was sleeping and the other half while wow. he was awake. He literally was mm. dreaming it, woke up, and wrote it down. And it, that's how If I Had a Boat, which I think is one of the all-time great it's songs song. ever yeah. written. Walk me through a song like that that you wrote that you just felt like... Because the reality is these are not free. Yeah. Every once in a while you get one that it got given to you. Yeah. It came out of your subconscious, and your subconscious said, hey, I want you to write this down. Yeah. Walk me through one of those. I, hit, I, hit or not, I, I Well, I have heard him say that. I heard Sting say that about every breath he take, that literally... He was uh, asleep and woke up? or Sleep, just... woke up, had the melody and the lyrics, and he was like in Jamaica, and all he had was like some pump organ that had been owned by Johnny Cash, and he like had a, he just hit a cassette, and just bam, the song was there. I've, I've never had that happen. You've um, never had that kind of. I've just never had that. Given to you. I, 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 mine is more towards what my friend Alan Shamblin says. Songwriting is remembering. Once I've experienced something, let's say that you and I wanted to write a song about you know going to Chicago, you know, to a Cubs game. Let's just say we decided we wanted to write that. I haven't been to Chicago. I haven't been to a Cubs game. Let's say you haven't either. We have to so quickly experience that going to Chicago and, you know, the Southwest flight and the peanuts and the bourbon and the train. And I have to imagine all this so quickly. And if you wanted to, you can imagine being a lifelong Cubs fan as a kid, watching them lose and your dad. I mean, the whole fiction can manifest in you as though it was true. The narrative just reveals itself. And then... I experienced that in my mind, and now I've done it so many times I can do it quickly. Then all I have to do is just stand in the middle of the movie. It's a mini movie. Right. I just stand in the middle of the set, and I turn around 360 degrees, and I'm just writing down things. I'm remembering something that has happened in my mind, and that's why it's much more lifelike to me. It's not as contrived. I can experience something vicariously that I've never done, and then I just sit down and I'm just writing down. Which is what true of all great novelists, really. Do yeah, you I, remember I, um, of Mice and Men? Yes. And remember Lenny? Do you remember what he, how he walked and what his hands did? No. Where his hands were facing backwards? Wow. As it, so Steinbeck just said, as he walked, his palms were facing backwards. Gosh. And I knew he has a mental disorder. Wow. That's, that is all he had to wow. say. Wow. You knew everything oh, about him. Oh, my gosh. 
And that's all he had to say. Yeah. And he just found the one thing that another writer would have taken 10 pages wow. and had a bunch of exposition. That's haunting because that just somebody famous said, show me. Don't yeah, yeah, yeah. tell me. And show me in a sentence. Show, show me. me in a few words. Okay, so now we're going to test you. Wow. Chicago Cubs game. You're 12 years old. Mm -hmm. You lost your dad the year before. Yeah. What's the one thing that you see at the game? Wow. Yeah. I mean, all I can see is the empty seat beside me where yeah. he should be. It's yeah. just the loss. Yeah. And the somebody else puts something. their beer in his, yeah. in his thing, and you remove it and hand it back. Right, yeah. But don't use his cup yes. holder. Yes, yeah. He's sitting here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I know. This place it's is just taken. a beautiful, and then, and then everybody who hears that song, let's say that becomes a song, everybody hears that. Even if you have your dad and he's a great dad, you know that's going to happen yeah, to you ultimately. and you give your dad a call or something. You know what I mean? That's what's really beautiful about the work that you do. Sometimes. Okay. Can I do a follow-up question? Yes. So when you're the movie, I've never asked you this, I don't think. You know, as you're standing and you're looking at this movie that's playing, is that made more difficult in a co-write? Mm, that's a or great with, question. With maybe yeah. a couple of people. Like, so there's three of you in the room and everybody's talking and... Are they interrupting the movie that you're seeing playing out? You know what I mean? Is it harder? Well, it depends on with whom you're collaborating. You know, there's a creative chaos in a lot of co-writes, and you're, you're just trying to create just a moment of solitude so you can get your ideas down. The best co-writes, you know, you're somehow sharing this intimate moment of collaboration together, but a lot of times you're competing with your co-writer, you know. Does it feel that way? There's this creative energy and creative competition and positive competition that's happening in a co-writer? Yeah, co yeah, it's a real dance. And, and each one is completely different. And it can be different, you know, some days with the same co-writer. It could be, man, you're just uh, firing on all cylinders. And, you know, the next time you're together, you got a, a short somewhere in the carburetor. And it's just, you know, it ain't running. So mm -hmm. that's the magic of collaboration. That's the, you know, the agony, the ecstasy. You just, you never know what exactly is going to happen. But yeah, for me, I have to compete with myself to at least express the best I can the idea. And I'm just trying to inspire my collaborator at that moment. It's not a competition for who gets the line down, but I'm just, it's a competition for inspiration. Are you ever, like, do you get frustrated if you let's say you, you've been working for a while and you are literally seeing this movie from beginning to outro you, you're seeing it all and you're communicating that in an attempt to inspire and they're just not freaking getting it i yeah. mean they're not even remotely close to getting it or they're, or in your mind they're just adulterifying it sort of you know and what we're throwing right. back at you is there moments yeah. where you just go I'd love to leave the room right now. They're never, they're too stupid to get the beauty yeah. of one of them. Are there frustrating well, moments? Well, yeah, it's like very that? frustrating. It's very exhausting. I think that's why I should have realized somewhere along the line that it, the reason why I have felt exhausted really more emotionally over the years is that it, this really does take a toll. And this will sound like sour grapes, but you know, now I, I am 65, so I'm looking kind of back over my life. You've never said that live on radio I, I'm, I'm, or where I'm happy is. to be 65. I'm glad to be 65. Uh, but, you know, I look back now, and the, the people pleaser, the salesman in, in me, the subsequious, is that a word? You know what that word I don't word know. Means? I've never Beautiful. heard that. Tim, it's look that up. Word. What does that rhyme with? Uh, um, <laughs> How can we get that in a song? Uh, <laughs> Antiquitous. Uh, subsequious. Subsequious. <laughs> <laughs> Look that up. Obsequious. Obsequious. Sub would be under the sequious. Yeah, obsequious. Under the se whatever sequious is. It sounds like a Come on, Tim. A dragon We're lady paying you a million dollars a year, a man. Oh, he's not even on the internet. Obedient or attentive. Okay, obsequious. Okay. Obsequious. That's, that's what Sorry. Obedient you, or attentive. you remember your point now? Yes. Okay. So I have been so obsequious that I always come at it from a little bit different angle, and I have been... Honestly, I've been talked out of, I think, a lot of creativity. Hmm. I look back, I can remember song after song where I'd be like, hey, what if we did it this way? And because somebody else was more dominant and the alpha dog in the room, they're like, no, man, you can't start a song with a chorus. You can't start with a pre-chorus. You can't start this acapella. And I'd be like, 
okay, you're probably right. You know, oh, my life wow. has no meaning. I've yeah. been talked out of, and then I look back. Have any of those songs been recorded? No. You know, I've just if been. If we'd have just started at acapella. I've been slapped around for 20 years, and I never stood up for myself. I mean, that's. that's that can't that's, be true. That's, that's slightly hyperbolic. Yeah, He's better at it today than he used to be. You're I'm better, better at, at it than it, you were 15 years yeah, ago. Yeah, I'm better at it, but sure. still, I think, you know. Have you ever walked in a room with a songwriter you never met and then turned around and said, no, thank you? You walked out. <laughs> be honest. I should have. I should have. He never I, did, though. About people, a, the codependent people pleaser part would yeah, let him do it. But. An hour into the co write, I've been like, you don't like Jackson Brown? You don't even know who Jackson Brown is? You know what? I'm leaving. How about that? Pop, thank you. I should have done that. Tom, will you play us yes. something? I'm not um, sure what you're going to play. What are you I thinking can, about? Why don't I play you a little bit of Little Rock? Oh, my gosh. Can you believe that? this? All right. Well, I know I'll disappear a time or two And along the way I lost me and you Needed a new town for my new start Selling VCRs in Arkansas at a Walmart and I haven't had a drink in 19 days My eyes are clear and bright without that haze I'd like to preach you from the Church of Christ Sorry that I cried when I talked to you I think I'm on a roll here in Little Rock Solid as a stone, baby, wait and see Got just one small problem here in Little Rock Without you, baby, I'm not me And I don't know why I held it all inside You must have thought I never even tried You know your daddy told me when I left Jesus will forgive but a daddy don't forget Think I'm on a road here in Little Rock Solid as a stone, baby, wait and see Got just one small problem here in Little Rock Without you, baby, I'm not me Lying here upon this motel bed Thoughts of you explode inside my head Like a castle built upon the sand I let love crumble in Think I'm on a road here in Little Rock Solid as a stone, baby, wait and see Got just one small problem here in Little Rock Without you, baby, I'm not me I think I'm on So did you cry when he played that? 
you do get kind of choked up, but you get yeah. choked up in this like sentimental, like reading Steinbeck. Yeah, yeah. He can just say something in one little line that all of the other blanks are filled in. All yeah. the other categories of information. You know, if he's selling VHSs at a Walmart in Little Rock, <laughs> and he's telling this to his ex-fiance or ex-girlfriend, we don't know. <laughs> everything else is filled in. Yeah. Like this is a guy who is haunted by his own demons. He's trying to get right. He's probably got some childhood baggage. He hasn't worked. He needs some time at on-site workshops. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everything else is filled in. And I actually went back after this conversation. I went back and just had a night of whiskey and cigars with Tom Troy. They came back. And Wes Yoder, my literary agent. Uh -huh. And it was fascinating talking about Tom's gift as it relates to actual literature because he's actually written a book. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I can't say any more about it. I hope something else happens there. Yeah. But he's finished a book, and so we got to talk about the tricks of the trade on saying something that lets everybody fill in all the other blanks. Yes. And You know, I talked about in the interview, Steinbeck saying that Lenny's hands or palms are faced backwards when he walks. That's where I think people are a genius. Yeah. And Tom's a genius. But true to artists who survive and thrive, he gets up every day, does his work. Yeah. Turns in, writes 100 songs a year, Yeah, never stops. You know, it's not good enough to be a genius. In fact, I don't even know if I believe. I think some <laughs> people are smarter than others. But anybody that you really know about who's had a sustained career just works hard. So what yeah. a fun, I mean, what a great episode. Yeah. So insightful yeah. for all of us. Yeah. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's new record, Dive Deep, on Spotify or on iTunes. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. 